Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Seeing how folks are doing after this destruction and pain and another devastating storm is an eye-opener. The people who stand on the other side of the fences who don't live there, who are yelling that we're talking about interfering with free enterprise by doing something about climate change, they don't live there. That's right. That's right. They don't live. They don't understand. All right, that is the ancient president struggling to express that the protesters who were yelling about leaving Americans behind in Afghanistan were actually just against his climate change policies and were outsiders or something. Which he pushed at the location of hurricane damage, making the claim over and over that these bad hurricanes are because of climate change. Uh, and again, I got to mention Wall Street Journal piece by Bjorn Lumberg, who looked into it. All the numbers, plenty of charts. I looked it over. Sure looks legit. Push back if you want to. But contrary to common knowledge, U.S. landfalling hurricanes are not becoming more frequent, despite what you've heard in the media over and over the last couple of weeks. In fact, since 1900, the frequency has declined slightly. Yeah, I remember whether it was Fat Al Gore or one of your big climate change <laughs> moments. Fat Al Gore. What's the need for that adjective before? I mean, wh- why? Did I say that? I didn't mean to. <laughs> Stumbled. I just, I don't know. Mush mouth. Uh, anyway, it, it was one of those big moments in climate change. Maybe there's some big benefit concert or whatever. And, and as I recall, it was around the turn of the century which is an expression I don't use nearly enough. Anyway, <clears> that it was predicted that the uh, coming hurricane seasons would be absolutely horrific on a regular basis, blah, blah, blah. And then the next four years were like the quietest on record. And nobody lost their job or was forced to get on their knees and apologize to America or whatever. Hey, you know, one thing I got from reading that article about uh, hurricanes and counting them and trying to figure all this out was it wasn't that long ago that they didn't have any sort of... Um, Satellite technology where you could pick up a hurricane. So they came out of nowhere. Up until fairly recently, in like the 40s, they started to get some, but it didn't get good until the 60s. It would just get, you know, because, you know, there are parts of the country that this time of year, it rains like every afternoon. The the clouds get dark, and you, you know it's going to rain. Sometimes it was a horrific Category 5 hurricane. You had no anticipation. Now we get the buildup for weeks. A tropical storm out over the Atlantic near India. It'll be here next week. And they build it up for days and days and weeks. And and everybody's just so. And then it usually dissipates before it gets here. And why did you tell me about this for two weeks when it turned out to be right. nothing? But it used to be. It would just all of a sudden. Jesus, is it windier than normal? And the next thing you know, your town gets wiped off. Isn't that wow. crazy? Well, yeah, in 1910, it's not like somebody from, I don't know, the Dominican Republic is going to no. get in a boat and, and ride to America to say, hey, giant storm coming. Yeah, you it didn't was have, headed your way. You didn't have the slightest idea. That's so wild. It's yeah, hard to think about. Point. Yeah, crazy, crazy. Speaking of climate change, and just for the record, just so you know, I think the climate is absolutely changing. The oh, yeah. climate's always oh, yeah. changing. Oh, yeah. I think it's possible man plays a role in it and, and carbon emissions and the rest of it. Man, I don't deny not that. woman, man. Mankind, man and woman, man, woman, and non-binary kind. 
uh, have played a role with pollution. I think that's entirely possible. My stance, our stance really, is we just have to be realistic about how to deal with it, what measures will do any good, whether we can really make a difference while China and India aren't even trying, uh, and should we decimate our economy while they're continuing to pollute. So all we're calling for is realism. Having said that, <clears throat> I came across this piece in City Watch LA by Joel Kotkin um, that I thought was terrific. One more fairness bona fide, if I might. Um, he quotes an attorney um, who who is talking about uh, environmentalism in California, and she says it's plunged into a new green Jim Crow era. Look, you, the president... The, the idiot vice president, everybody, stop with the Jim Crow era stuff. You're, you're minimizing a horrific chapter in American history to make your dopey little momentary political points, all right? And this, this gal, this Jennifer Hernandez, is somebody I happen to agree with on a lot, but stop it with the Jim Crow thing. But the point she's making is really quite interesting. The soaring environmental rhetoric of the state's affluent, largely white technocratic leadership, she concludes, is deepening the state's shameful legacy of racial injustice. Again, I think she's just hammering the racial injustice thing because it's so hot these days. Um, and, and, and she overplays her hand. But, but again, the, stick with me because it gets more interesting. Uh, certainly the impact is stark. Enlightened California now suffers the nation's worst cost-adjusted poverty rate. And according to the United Way of California, more than 30% of California residents lack sufficient income to meet basic costs of living, even after accounting for public assistance programs. Those struggling families including include half of Latino and 40% of black residents. There are two main factors driving this new green issue. The first and most obvious is California's energy policy, which has made the state's electricity and gas prices the highest on the mainland, with electricity prices 50% of the, above the national average. Wow. And gasoline costs that are even more expensive than import-reliant Hawaii in the center of the Pacific Ocean. Makes the surge in, yeah, this surge in prices derives from the state's obsession shared by the ruling tech oligarchs, by the way, looking at you in Silicon Valley, with renewable energy and the elimination of fossil fuels. Yet, as a recent Manhattan, uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology report has shown, over-reliance on renewables is very costly because it requires the production of massive and environmentally unfriendly battery storage capacity, the price of which is invariably passed on to the taxpayer. Now, this is not bad news for the tech oligarchs who have been prominent among those profiting from clean energy investments. Oh, but many other Californians, primarily those in less, the less temperate interior, find themselves falling into energy poverty or are dependent on state subsidies that raise electricity prices for businesses in the middle class. Black and Latino households already forced to pay from 20 to 43% more of their household incomes on energy than the average white household. Last year, more than 4 million households in California, 30% of the total, experienced energy poverty, whatever that is. Energy costs are ridiculously high in California. And then they point out, and, and others have made this point, and I think it's a great one, that the state of California is decimated uh, domestic oil production and refining in the entire fossil fuels industry 
in California and are campaigning hard for guys like Joe Biden to eliminate it in Alaska and, and everywhere else we get energy or, or ending pipeline projects from the cleanest produced oil in the world, our allies, Canada, in favor of these utterly unethical, uh, you know, OPEC countries. And disproportionately, that tab is falling on poor people and working people. You never hear that discussed, but the, no, the numbers are undeniable. No, makes perfect sense. Totally eliminating any oil drilling right next door, which would be the cleanest, most environmentally responsible oil drilling anywhere on Earth in favor of begging Saudi Arabia and Venezuela or God knows who else for their oil. It's just so dumb. And and one more point. While this shift will not cause much pain in Malibu or Menlo Park, where the wealthy can continue to tool around in their BMWs, in Bakersfield, where the oil industry is centered, or around the coastal refineries, the impact could be catastrophic. According to a study by the L.A. Economic Development Corporation, these dictates threaten over 366 thousand high-paying largely blue-collar jobs roughly half of which are held by people of color up with green green new deal yay there's a good reason the green new deal includes a gigantic increase in the uh, welfare state because it has to had a good conversation with my kids the other day about diamond lanes and uh Oh, they saw a sign for carpooling, and they asked me what carpooling is. <laughs> it's it's non existent, kids. It's like unicorns. <laughs> it really is. Do you know a single human being that carpools to work? No. I've known a few no, people. No, I actually that, don't personally. No. I, I've known a few people that do it with kids to school, like in their neighborhood and stuff like that, and take turns, but that's a completely different thing. Yeah. Um, the people that go to work, not one. Not only is it not common, I've never known a single person who does it. I've Car- seen it on sitcoms. Yeah, yeah exactly. But they think if they eliminate enough, uh, you know, lanes for driving and put in bike lanes, they'll drive into bikes. If gas, well, they drove me. And I, the reason I'm driving an electric car now that I got a Tesla is I did the math on the current price of gas in California with all the taxes is so high that it finally makes sense. In any other state, it wouldn't make sense for me. Well, like, they're going to screw you with miles per uh, miles driven uh, taxes soon. Eventually. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know. I guess back to riding a horse. Is that what they're hoping to do? I don't know. Um. But, yes, yes, Michael. Carpooling, do you really want, first thing in the morning when you wake up and you're groggy, to see another person in your car? Yeah, not only that. Not only do you get to get in a car with four other people and, you know, have to listen to their music or have small chit-chat, you got to get up like an hour earlier just because everybody's got to get picked up. So, and then get home yes. an hour later. So attractive, yes. <laughs> Shocking. I can't wait to get started. Shocking more people don't do it. <laughs> But they keep trying to force us to do these things we don't want to do, and it doesn't work. You know, the only place that I'm familiar with a fair amount of carpooling is when people have to cross the bridges into San Francisco uh, because the tolls are getting so incredibly high. People will park and and grab a ride. But it's another another stick approach. The carrots aren't working. It's another stick approach. They made it just so expensive to buy gas that with my commute, it actually makes sense to drive an electric car. You make the tolls so high, okay, I guess I'll ride with Jim from accounting because I can't afford to pay $6 to cross the bridge each time. Yeah, nice. Nice! And uh, meanwhile, and all, and most of that is around trying to bring down the temperature of the world, which China and India have no interest in uh, playing along with. So it ain't going to do any good anyway. Just going to make sell like- your parka, buy some shorts. Hey, Matt Taibbi, who we like around here, is taking on the whole in, in Invermectin thing. Ivermectin, I believe. Ivermectin, whatever yep. that drug mm-hmm. is. I only give it to my horse for worms. It's horse paste and 
stupid idiot Trump voters are gobbling it down and they're filling up all the emergency rooms. Yeah, none of those things are true, but that's what you hear over and over again. Uh, and other stuff on the way. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Matt Taibbi might be the best media critic in America right now, and I wish he had more followers, more readers, because he's saying some really important stuff out there. He's a yeah. He puts out some of his stuff for free, but a lot of it's paywalled on uh, Substack. He's a he he's a lefty on all politics stuff, and he and I wouldn't agree on geez all kinds of big questions, but. He does get that the media has just lost its mind and its ability to do its job. Moral majority media strikes again. When Rachel Maddow, Rolling Stone, and others jumped on a dubious report of ivermectin overdoses, it was just the latest in a string of moral mania mishaps. We've talked about this some, but I'll fill you in and read Matt Taibbi's writings in Substack. Citing a report of Oklahoma emergency rooms so overwhelmed by ivermectin overdoses that gunshot victims were going untreated, MSNBC anchor Joy Ann Reed Sunday proposed sticking the swallowers of horse paste at the back of the line in order to prioritize the more deserving. Rather than allowing the ivermectin people, she spoke the words as if holding a vile wriggling thing in with tweezers to take <laughs> up the beds. This was a network anchor despising a group of people so much that she itched to deny them medical care, not only despite having never met them, but despite the fact that they may not even exist. The overwhelmed Oklahoma ER tale later seemed to go sideways, the latest in a line of crack-ups by media lost in the throes of a moral panic. And he goes through where it started. It started with a it started with a local story about how the hospitals were full and there were people taking ivermectin, but some TV station on their cryon, kind of put them together just for shorthand, and then it got picked up just like that. I mean, just somebody conflated the two things, put them together in their own mind. Well, there was one doctor quoted in the story. I can't remember. Does Matt Taibbi get into that? I I may have read it there, but there was one doctor quoted. He doesn't even work for that hospital, and he retracted his comments. He says he was taken out of context. The line that the the hospital was uh, overflowing with ivermectin people, which it never was, The line spread the next day with a retweet by Rachel Maddow. She's the real patient zero of this mess. Followed by tweet pushes from MSNBC executive producer Lauren Peikoff. I'm going to mention a bunch of names here that I don't know, but I just think his writing is kind of clever and whatever, and maybe you know them. Uh, The Guardian reported on it. The Business Insider, The Daily Mail, Newsweek, The New York Daily News, Daily Kos, Occupy Democrats, Joy Reid, Moral Mania All-Star Kurt Eichenwald, The Humorously Dependable Wrongness Barnacle Eona Higgins. (laughs) I don't know who that is. What was that? Hit us with that phrase again. The Humorous, The Humorously Dependable Wrongness Barnacle. (laughs) And I don't know who some of these people are, but... And, of course, my former employers at Rolling Stone. My old magazine got most of the catcalls on social media after adding a full written story that widened the scope beyond Oklahoma. Uh, And even Rolling Stone is the one that brought us the whole Joe Rogan, who has now tested positive for COVID, is taking ivermectin. Yeah, because it's a perfectly effective drug that has been used around the world on all kinds of viruses successfully. This whole 
people are taking the horse medicine and and getting sick thing is made up, you see. Wow. Um, and uh, and Matt Tybee, in the way that he does, read, writes like, you know, a, a piece, the, the length of war and peace on this. But then this paragraph. The problems lay in the reason the error spread, which happens to be the same reason underlying innumerable other media shipwrecks in the last five years. These include everything from wrong reports of Russians hacking a Vermont energy grid, to tales of Michael Cohen in Prague, to the PP tape with Trump, to Julie Swetnick's rape accusation, to the Covington High School fiasco, to Russian oligarchs co-signing a a Deutsche Bank loan application for Donald Trump, to Bountygate... Uh, to the mass hysterectomy story, I don't know that one, and dozens beyond, the media business has become a machine for generating error-ridden moral panics. And I remember almost all of those stories. They were giant deals for a while. All of those stories I just mentioned turned out to be completely non-existent. And that is what the media does best now. His point being, I assume, how are we going to fix this? How are we going to get out of this? Or... Will it be self? Will enough? Will it happen enough times that people will say, "All right, I'm not believing this anymore"? Well, yeah, and I think you know every single click generator in the world, be it the New York Times or famous cat blog or what's its face, uh, what is a Tucker Carlson called a cat blog again? Oh, Buzzfeed. Gosh. BuzzFeed, that's it, yeah. But no matter who you are, you will be assumed to be a click-baiting liar unless you prove otherwise. Because, I mean, all of those stories you mentioned ran in the big legacy media, and they were all fiction. Right. Well, look at all the people that picked up that ivermectin story. It's unbelievable. That couldn't have happened 20 years ago. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Days before the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, five of the suspected key planners of the worst terrorist attack on U.S. soil back in court for the first time in more than 500 days. Among them, 9-11 mastermind Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, smiling and waving at his fellow prisoners and reporters behind his orange beard. Uh... I'm sure he was smiling in court because he was happy to see us. The man's been in lockdown for as long as everyone else has been in lockdown. And to see people that he hasn't, his legal team that he hasn't seen in a long time. Yeah, sorry to hear that he's uh, had a rough go of it. It is unbelievable that nobody has been tried yet for the 9-11 crimes at the 20-year mark. Now, the fact that they're in the courtroom has got to be... Because the pressure was going to be so great if, if that was a news headline come the anniversary. They claim that it's just a coincidence of the timing. I don't believe it, but they're getting them into the cut room so they can at least say we've started. Because that's incredible. Yeah. 20 yeah, years. And because we're so careful and want to give them every single right that you get as an American, 20 years in, still nobody has been uh, tried at all. Uh, they're in the courtroom now. Listen to this. We got 39 people still at Gitmo. Only 39. It costs 13 million per prisoner per year to keep them there. Wow. If we if we send them to Supermax, it would cost 70,000 a year. So you can ever spend 13 million a year to keep Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and his friends at Gitmo as a taxpayer 
Or he could put him in the freaking Supermax. It's not like he's going to get out for 70 grand a year. Yeah, yeah. The problem is, uh, and it's uh, a little uncomfortable, is that a lot of the information we got out of these guys, which would be used to try them, we got out of ways that are, are wildly unconstitutional. Waterboarding, for instance. What do you do with a confession that you got out of a guy who's, uh, you're playing the drowny game with him? Playing the drowny game. To bring back a, a term from yesteryear. I mean, that's that's a real legal conundrum. That's been the problem for a long time. I also like the fact that some of the guys that we did let loose from uh, Gitmo, do you remember how we were assured that they were going to return to a peaceable life of farming and tending their little record shop there at the bazaar uh, back in the day? No, they went right back to terrorism. And indeed, they're uh, among the leadership of the Taliban. Three of the biggest guys in the Taliban government are, are Gitmo detainees, former Gitmo detainees. Why don't we call them graduates alums graduates stay tuned california teacher removes american flag and suggests kids pledge allegiance to the rainbow flag all right yeah no that's pretty much the whole story they've yanked her out of the classroom she's a lefty wackadoodle like a huge number of california teachers are teachers all over america unfortunately speak speak, speaking of uh, news i want to do one more paragraph from this matt taibbi piece about the ivermectin debacle. Oh, it's so good. I yield the floor to you, the gentleman from Kansas. Um, and it's uh, it's more about just how many of these stories come and go that are just crap. And the, 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 the real media eats them up and it spreads them to you. I'll just read it as he wrote. News has become a corporatized version of the two minutes hate in which the goal of every broadcast is an anxiety-ridden audience provoked to the point of fury by the unpoliced infamy of whatever wreckers are said to be threatening civilization this week. The unvaccinated, insurrectionists, Assadists, Greens, Bernie Bros, Jill Stein, Russians, the promoters of white supremacy culture, etc. Mistakes are inevitable because this brand of media business isn't about accuracy, but rallying audiences to addictive disgust. As a result, most press people now shrug off the odd error or six. Look at Rachel Maddow leaving her tweet up about ivermectin, which is completely wrong. Her tweet is still up. So long as they feel stories are directionally right, i.e. aimed at deserving targets. That is what? That, that, is, the, that is the phrase that pays right there. That's the phrase I'm going to keep in my head. Media is now getting stories that are directionally right. That ivermectin story was directionally right for them and that it, you know, it paints Trump voters in a bad light. And that's the important thing. The, the details of whether people are actually taking horse dewormer in great numbers, which they aren't, uh, that doesn't matter. Directionally, it's important to say Trump voters are stupid and that's what we're all about here at the New York Times or MSNBC or whatever other story is out there. Right. It's tribal clickbait. But my my problem with it, and I have a number of problems with it, is that that sort of uh, dehumanizing propaganda, whether it's the Jews drink the blood of Palestinian babies or the, you know, uh, whatever stereotype you like to traffic in, um, those have only been used to dehumanize groups of people and or at times of war. When you portray your enemies as savages or beneath contempt to make it easier to kill them. God, you, um, you are so it's right. It's incredibly dangerous. You're so right about that. I used to hear those stories. Um, who was that guy who used to be a terrorist we used to have on all the time? And he uh, converted, became a Christian. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember the bloke. His name will uh, pop into my anyway, head at some point. He, he talked about growing up in the Middle East, and he grew up believing that, that Jews drink the blood of babies and stuff like that. And I used to think, how could you, how could it, how did anybody believe any of this stuff? Well, we're headed that direction 100 miles an hour with 
most of mainstream media happily reporting something they they should know, if they don't know, is completely wrong. Hospitals are not filling up with Trump voters taking horse drugs, but they reported (laughs) it anyway. So it's the same sort of thing. It's just completely fanciful. And the people reporting it, a lot of them know it's not true. It doesn't make any difference. It's directionally correct. Well, when it's proven to be utterly fictional, they leave the tweets up. I mean, that's really all you need to know on the top. It's not good for society. Not no, good for it society. is not. It's, it's horrible. Do you think people will get more hip to it, or, or will we just keep going uh, toward the cliff? It's hard to say. I think we keep going toward the cliff. And, and cl- cliff. There's no T in cliff. What is wrong with me? People keep going toward the cliff because it feels good to believe stuff that is uh, against your enemy. It just it feels better. Yeah, it does. You want to feel superior to somebody. Uh, if you'd like, feel superior to me, folks. But don't engage in racism. It's sick. Uh, we need to get into uh, the COVID endgame. Are we in it now? Is it about over? Or will it go on for years and years? Uh, experts disagree. And it's actually kind of an interesting discussion. And having read it myself, it left me feeling pretty damned optimistic. Oh, cool. So. Stay tuned for that. Uh, big news from our favorite home security company. That's Simply Safe, of course, a beloved sponsor of the Armstrong and Getty Show. They have a new wireless outdoor security camera. Oh, I need this. So we've mentioned that U.S. News and World Report has named Simply Safe the best home security system of 2021. So they're they're just they're they're just really good all the way around. But this brand new outdoor security camera. Engineered with all the most advanced tech stuff you can get. An ultra-wide, 140-degree field of view, so you can keep watch over your entire yard. 1080 HD resolutions with an 8 times zoom, so you could zoom in on license plates numbers or people's faces or whatever. Built-in spotlight with color night vision. I mean, this is the best. It has it all. It integrates with your Simply Safe home security system, extending your protection to outside. To learn more about the exciting new Simply Safe wireless outdoor security camera, visit simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. And Simply Safe is celebrating the new camera by offering you 20% off your entire new system and your first month of monitoring service free when you enroll in interactive monitoring. Uh, that's simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. So we really don't have time for the COVID thing right now. Uh, but we will do it next segment. And and just one more thing I want to touch on. We did it early in the show, and might do it during Hour 4, talk about it a little more. Uh, if you don't get Hour 4, grab it at armstrongandgetty.com, the Armstrong and Getty On Demand podcast. But it is now utterly clear that Anthony Fauci, through Peter Daszak, was funding gain-of-function research into bat coronaviruses at the Wuhan Institute and allied uh, organizations. And they covered up because they knew the world would hold them responsible for the deaths of millions. There's a new Freedom of Information Act, a dump of documents. It is now utterly beyond doubt that they were behind a lot of that research, maybe for the best of reasons, the best and most purely scientific of motives. But then when the bat hit the fan, if you will, they immediately went into denial mode, and Fauci still has his job today. It's astonishing. And the next time he's in front of a Senate committee, that is going to be must-see TV, I think, because they're going to be armed with a lot of facts that he's going to have trouble explaining away, I think. Yeah, in case you have to go off to work or you can't listen anymore or whatever, let's we'll give you just a little, a delightful little taste of the conversation. Give me clip number 97, please, Michael. It's Rand Paul. 
He has lied dozens of times. Usually he tells us that it's for our own good, but yes, he has dissembled, he has obfuscated, there's other nicer words, but he has definitely lied to the American public, and he should be held responsible. But not just that, the, the, the judgment that we should continue to fund this lab and that the virus in all likelihood came from the lab, I think is such incredibly poor judgment that he should be immediately removed. Yeah. And he's a bad spokesman at this point anyway, so. Yeah, nobody wants to hear a damn word out of his mouth, except, you know what, this is uh, siloing, this is uh, bubbling. Uh, I, Although I take in a lot of left-wing media for my job, um, I'm a conservative, obviously, um, liberals think Fauci's a saint. They, they don't question him. They hmm. think he can say no wrong, no matter how many times he's contradicted himself or changed his mind or whatever. Because he's, because he's perceived as being on the other side of Trump. Yes, exactly. Okay. Well, he he was the anti-Trump for a long time. He was the the, the patron saint of anti-Trumpiness. But where are we in the pandemic? We'll talk about that in a moment. Yeah, one quick thing I want to mention before we take a break. This is really good news, I think, for a lot of people. Fannie Mae, that's the biggest company out there for uh, home loans and all that sort of stuff. They're going to start including rent payments in your credit history review. So people who have never owned a home, this makes why hasn't it been this way all the time? It makes perfect sense. It's obvious. You think about it for two seconds. If you've been paying your rent consistently, you obviously have a, a, a history of paying for your where you live. It's, I'm shocked to hear that hasn't been the policy. It hasn't so been obvious. the policy if you hadn't been making a mortgage. No, sorry, that doesn't count. That's crazy. So it's really hard to get into your first time home. Well, they're changing that. As of uh, September 18th, they'll have a new feature for uh, incorporating rent payments into a loan application, and it'll make it easier to get a home. So, All right. Good news. Uh, where, where are we on the pandemic and other stuff on the way? Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Bud Lights has released a new line of hard seltzers with fall flavors. Flavors include pumpkin spice, maple pear, apple crisp, and toasted marshmallow. It sounds like the perfect beverage for anyone who's always wanted to drink a Yankee candle. <laughs> like Sean used to say, pumpkin spice is a bully spice. It's a flavor bully? Is that the term? Flavor means? bully, that's right. Flavor bully, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we ought to check in on old Sean, see we how should. he's doing. A topic for another day. So uh, I read this with interest. The COVID endgame, is the pandemic over already or are there years to go? Ugh. Yeah, I mean, come on. That's what we're all thinking about. It's what we're all concerned about. We're wondering how long till it's more like 2019. And uh, Mark Fisher wrote a piece for the Washington Post. He says, the answer is coming a kaleidoscopic cavalcade of scenarios. Some suggested with utmost humility, others with mathematical confidence. I think we're all a little tired of the scientist making a pronouncement with mathematical confidence. That reminds me, I've got to get to the survey of virus specialists and how they're treating the COVID to give you an idea how out of whack they are with mainstream thinking. Stay tuned for that. Yep. The pandemic will end because deaths finally drop to about the same level we're accustomed to seeing from the flu each year. Or it will end when the kids are vaccinated. Or it will end because Americans are finally exhausted by all the restrictions on daily life. And then he gets into innumerable predictions over the course of the pandemic have come up lame and some scientists have sworn off soothsaying. 
Uh, but others have built models and make projections and describe the hurdles that remain before people can pull off the mask, blah, blah, blah. So <clears throat> Monica Gandhi, who we've quoted before, who's an infectious disease specialist and professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, says, I truly, truly think we're in the end game. The cases will start plummeting in mid to late September. Uh, soon um, Boy, and by yeah. mid-October we'll be in a manageable place because the where the virus is a concern for health professionals but not really for the general public we're currently averaging 150,000 cases a day 1,500 deaths a day still I would have never predicted that yeah yeah now Gandhi bases her optimism on the fact that all previous epidemics of respiratory viruses have ended through the acquisition of immunity whether by vaccination or natural infection Although they keep changing, they mutate quickly at a cost to themselves, and they get weaker over time, she says. And she thinks that uh, the Delta variant that hit the uh, U.S. so hard this summer will mark the peak of the virus's strength and and will be in, in really good shape really soon. Uh, others disagree. Um, let's see. And are they disagreeing yeah. because it gets them more in clicks? That's the question. Well, yeah, I I do wonder. Uh, some of the nation's most prominent epidemiologists and public health experts say we are already at the point that it's no longer a pandemic, it's endemic, meaning it morphs into something that is no longer an emergency, but rather an annoyance, an ugly, even painful fact of life that people simply learn to cope with, like the flu or common cold. Uh, I think we are absolutely, in, in conservative-leaning America, Self-reliant, life comes at you, you take some knocks, sometimes you fall down, America. We're already there. It. I like to be afraid, collective blue America. Oh, no, they're still wildly in favor of, of vaccine mandates and lockdowns and the rest of it. Uh, says uh, Jay Batakaraya. I think I'm mispronouncing that. We quoted him before from Stanford. The emergency phase of the disease is over. Now we need to work very hard to undo the sense of emergency. We should be treating COVID as one of 200 diseases that affect people. I like the cut of his jib. Um, Others think, no, it's not going away, blah, blah, blah. But we are clearly at the point where we can't alter life so much anymore. I, I just I can accept that, that there's a certain amount of danger. Um, some people are vaccinated. The government still idiotically refuses to acknowledge that people with natural immunity don't need the vaccine or don't need it for a while anyway. We just let's move on with life. So um, Stat News is a site that looks at statistics, and they said one problem with the listen to your public health experts is that the said experts often come off as paranoid, morbid, neurotic, risk-averse nutballs. And that's based on this. In May of 2021, so that's just a couple of months ago, they asked a whole bunch of epidemiologists about various things they're comfortable doing or still not comfortable doing around the COVID. The one that stood out the most was, um, well, what percentage of you have done this uh, recently? Run errands in person. 92% of epidemiologists had, but there were 8% who had not run errands. Wow. Brought in mail without precautions. 17% of epidemiologists are still worried about their mail and will not bring wow. it in without precautions. Do you know Do you know anybody who's actually living that way? So these are the people that are informing your county health inspector or your, your, your school board or whoever about how to treat the COVID. They're still worried about getting the COVID from their mail, which wow. is crazy. Uh, 74% had hiked or gathered outdoors with friends. But almost a quarter hadn't. 
Wow. Wow. I only have like 800 times since right. COVID began. Yeah. This Which w- is why I'm dead. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to you from beyond the grave. Got a haircut at a salon or barbershop. About half had, but half had not. Wow. Still found that to be too dangerous. Bunch of long-haired paranoia. <laughs> How about this one? Saw a doctor for a non-urgent appointment. 63% had. I like looking at the flip number. So, of course. So nearly 40% of epidemiologists won't go to the doctor because it's too scary to be there with all the COVID around. I have repeatedly. And frankly, I'm enjoying hell so far. <laughs> Again, I've clearly been killed many times over by my recklessness. Again, these are the experts that are, you know, informing our politicians, our schools, our businesses. Hugged or shook hands when greeting a friend. 39% had done that recently, but the other 60% of epidemiologists had not. Oh, my gosh. That's, wow. that's not the way the rest of us are living. At you all. know, it reminds me of that classic piece of medical advice where doctors will caution you, you know, about going to a surgeon. Look, if you go to a guy with a knife, he's going to want to cut. That's what he does. Well, if you go to an epidemiologist and ask him, what should we think about constantly and alter our lives over? What should be our highest priority? A disease, disease, make it disease. <laughs> Come on. They have no ability to balance the other aspects of life and what makes life worth living and mental health and the kids and their needs and education and the rest of it. We've asked obsessive monomaniacs for how we should live our lives. How dumb. People that are still scared of their mail. Wow. Get them counseling. Yeah, no kidding. Anyway, as a person said, they come off as paranoid and, and certainly out of step with everybody else in the way we're actually living. Of course, these are people that want you to cook your steak well done all the time. The CDC crowd. Because it's too too dangerous to eat your steak medium rare. Armstrong and Getty.